Thank you, choir, for that uh, song that reminds us to look forward to the promise of God, even when things are hard, even when we don't understand, to look forward to that time in the future when God will make all things right. So as we begin today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this day, thanking you for the blessing of this worship as we've had time to pray together, to praise you through song, to read your word together, uh, to build up one another in, in those ways. And Father, I pray that as we break your word of life today, as we open the word of life and, and uh, drink deeply from the well of your truth, Lord, that we would grow in faith and that we would be strengthened and encouraged to live righteous lives for you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 2 uh, today as we ended up Romans 1 uh, looking at Paul's condemnation of the pagans who suppress God's truth that he has revealed in creation and instead they exchange it for a lie. And if you remember, uh, I said that uh, the, the pagans do this first conceptually as they, although they know God, they do not honor him as God, as Paul says, and instead they choose to believe a lie. And they are motivated by their own wisdom, their own desire to understand and to have control of nature and to uh, use the, the magical and demonic forces of this world for their own ends. And because of that, they, are, they exchange the, the natural order of things for those that go against nature. And so, as Paul puts it, they are darkened in their worship of God. They are darkened in their passions and they are darkened in their patterns of life. And so all of that we read and we understand and we say, yes, we see that out in the world. But in in reading what Paul wrote there, we might make the mistake of thinking that this is the only way unrighteousness is revealed. There's a habit we have, particularly in the church, of, of being an us versus them type of people. And we look at the world outside and we say all of the evil is out there in the world. All of the goodness is here in the church. And what we fail to recognize is that unrighteousness doesn't just exist out in the bad people out in the world. Unrighteousness is a condition of the human heart. And we might make the mistake of thinking, okay, if I just acknowledge God and seek to live in obedience to Him, then I'll be fine. I, in fact, I'll, dis, I'll distinguish myself by my obedience. I'll be so strict in my law-keeping that I'll look so much better than anyone else, uh, so God must accept me. It's, it's kind of like that story, you've heard the story of the two guys that are in the, in the Rocky Mountains, they're up hiking in the mountains, and, and the, they're discussing what they would do if they ran into a bear. And one guy says to the other, you know, well, I think I would try to outrun it. And they, the other guy says, no, 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 you, uh, you should never try to outrun a bear. It's, it's a great mistake. They're much faster than you are. And then, lo and behold, they come across a big grizzly, grizzly bear. And the fellow that had been lecturing on uh, how, whether to run or not, he turns around and he takes off running. 
And the guy's running to catch up with him, and he finally catches up with him. He said, I thought you said that you should never run from a bear. He said, I'm not running from the bear. I'm trying to outrun you. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's kind of the way we view sin sometimes and righteousness is that we try to live a righteous life so that we can outrun the people behind us and so that God will get them and He won't get us. And uh, they, we could be tempted to think that God will accept me because I am better than everyone else. Well, this is the view that the Jews had towards God and towards righteousness. They viewed themselves as righteous before God, and they viewed themselves as righteous for two reasons. First, they were children of Abraham. And therefore, because they were children of Abraham, they were chosen of God, and it didn't matter what they did, they were always going to be in God's favor. This argument is the argument that the Pharisees give back to Jesus when Jesus tells them that they are enslaved to their sin. And so in John chapter 8, verse 33, they reply to Jesus by saying, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved. So they believe that because they were God's chosen people, they were automatically righteous and didn't need to be forgiven. But secondly, they also believed that, they, that by following the strict moral code of the Torah and the Talmud, they could ob- obligate God to give them heaven. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he tells about how both go into the temple to pray. And the, tax, uh, the Pharisee looks at the tax collector and prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. The Pharisee of this story thought that his strict adherence to the moral code set set him apart from other men and that God would show him favor because he had been obedient. So Paul turns from addressing the unrighteousness of the pagans to now addressing the unrighteousness of the self-righteous. So let's read our text together from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, God's Word says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you, do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, 
there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So there are two things that I want you to see from this text today. I want you to see a wrong view of wrath. And second, a wrong view of works. So first, let's consider the wrong view of wrath in verses 1 through 5. So Paul says that the Jews, and and when I say the Jews, I want you to hold a place in your mind, not just for a racial group, but for anyone who thinks that they are better than other people because of their morality. Or if you want to hold a a different name in place, the self-righteous. Those who think that by their own law-keeping and their own morality that they are, number one, better than other people, and secondly, that God owes them some sort of reward for what they have done. The self-righteous, or the Jew, as Paul calls him here. Now, he says that the Jew, or the self-righteous, are in no better place than the pagans who are darkened in heart and in mind. Now, I want you to notice that Paul uses the same language to describe the plight of the self-righteous that he used back in chapter 1 to talk about the pagans. Notice first that he says that the self-righteous, in verse 1 of chapter 2, are without excuse. Now, remember back in chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says that the pagans are without excuse because they have God has revealed himself to them through creation and yet they denied him. And so now he says that the self-righteous are without excuse because they judge others while doing the same things. You see the self-righteous thinks that because of his status in society or because of his years of service to the church or because of his strict moral lifestyle that he can condemn other people. And sadly, the self-righteous take delight in the judgment of other people. They enjoy it when a sinner suffers the consequences of his or her own sins. They get a kick out of it when the preacher rails against some besetting sin of someone else. Yet Paul says that by passing judgment on others, they condemn themselves. And notice why that is at the end of verse 1. He says, For in passing judgment on others, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now consider, for example, the scandal that has engulfed Liberty University and the Falwell family over the last several years. I don't know if you've seen this in the news, but it's been a tragedy to watch and to to study and to listen to. But Jerry Falwell, I'm sorry, Jerry Falwell Jr. inherited the leadership of Liberty University from his father, the famous preacher, uh, Reverend Jerry Falwell. Y'all might remember him from the 80s and the 90s. Well, Jerry Jr., grew liberty, he took liberty from his father, and he grew it to be a powerhouse of Christian schools. In fact, it's a, it's a powerhouse among private schools now. 
And while he did that, the school enforced a strict moral code. And Jerry Jr. would go on to be a very popular Christian evangelical who would uh, be invited to Christian rallies and events and he would preach against the moral decay of our society and our need as Christians to, quote, take our country back. And in 2015, Falwell was the first notable evangelical to endorse Donald Trump for president because he said that Christians needed a strong man who would stand and fight for us. Yet while Jerry was preaching against the moral decay of our country and calling us to recover our nation, it turns out that he and his wife were raving alcoholics who participated in all sorts of sexual sins that I would be ashamed to repeat here from the pulpit. And it just recently has been reported that Falwell Jr., now says that he isn't really even all that religious. Self-righteousness can be found in a national evangelical leader like Falwell Jr. or in the pew or the pulpit of any church in Butler County. So Paul goes on to use the same language as he did with the issue of no excuse. He uses the same language again in verses uh, in chapter 1 verse 18 and in chapter 2 verse 5. Paul says that the wrath of God in in chapter 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed against pagans. And then in chapter 2 verse 5, he says that the self-righteous are storing up wrath on the day of God's judgment. This wrath is revealed against the self-righteous because Paul says they have a hard and impenitent heart. So like the pagan, they want to manipulate God into getting what they want. So understand, there are two ways to practice false religion that Paul is talking about here. One way is to ignore what God has revealed and to say, I'm going to make a God for myself. I'm going to take uh, an image of a creature. I'm going to worship my own self. I'm going to worship my lust. I'm going to worship money. I'm going to worship power. And to take those things and to make them your God. That's one way to have false worship against the one true God. Another way is to take the one true God and to try to use Him for your own advantage. To try to to be obedient in the right ways, in an external way, so that others love you and so that you gain position and power, much like the example I gave of Jerry Falwell Jr. You gain recognition, you gain fame within the niche market of of, Christianity. American evangelicalism, and you excel, and all the while you privately are a totally different person. So even though the self-righteous, we might look at them and say, oh, isn't he a great man? Isn't he a great fighter for Christian values? Isn't he the type of person that we need as a leader? We might look at him and say, we want to be like him. In reality, his heart is hard and impenitent, and he would rather worship himself even while using God for those ends. So the pagan 
worships, God, worships a false god through worldly wisdom, and the self-righteous does it by living by a moral code, but it's all the same thing. They are not remorseful for their sinful hearts. They are not repentant of their secret sins. They just want to use God for their own ends. So that brings me to my second point, a wrong view of works. So in verse 6, Paul says that on the day of judgment, God will give to each according to his works. To those who live in, by, by patience and seek the glory of God, he will give eternal life. But for those who seek their own glory, Paul says that they will receive wrath and fury. Now, Baptists, we tend to get all up in arms when we start talking about works having anything to do with salvation because we believe that salvation is by grace and faith alone. So let's be careful to understand just what Paul means here. Put simply, let me give you just one sentence that helps to describe how the relationship of works and salvation. And it's this. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved by the works of Jesus Christ who enables us by His Holy Spirit to do good works that are pleasing to God. Amen. So understand, you are not saved by your works, but you are still saved by works, just not yours, okay? Understand that God expects good works. He expects His creation to give Him the glory that He deserves. He expects His creation to reflect back the image that He has created them with. He expects His creation to love one another as He has loved them. But as we will see in a couple of weeks, no one does that. We are all broken both pagan and Jew. The pagans see God uh, clearly revealed in creation, and yet they reject Him and do horrible things to each other. And the Jew has the law of God, and yet they secretly sin against God, all while treating outcasts and sinners like trash. But Jesus was the true Israelite who did what Israel could not do. He lived in perfect obedience to the law of God. And he lived in perfect obedience for the right reasons. When the Pharisees would try to catch him on a technicality like healing someone on the Sabbath, Jesus would reveal that God had always intended the Sabbath to be for works of mercy. He would also reveal the true heart of the law as he would teach that it was not enough to avoid adultery while lusting after a woman. And in his death, he took the place of all of those who had lived in their sinfulness and their self-righteousness. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And in his resurrection, he brought about eternal life that we now have through his Holy Spirit. Because we have his spirit, we can do good works that please God. 
So Ephesians chapter 2 verse, eight, verse 10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see, Christian, you are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. By good uh, works are not the means of your salvation. Works are the end of your salvation. So that will be the distinguishing marker between the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who inherit eternal life will be those who have found their righteousness in Jesus Christ. Those who will be judged are those who have sought to live by their own moral standards. They have sought to live apart from repentance and obedience to Christ. So friend, no amount of moral living will make you acceptable before God. Your family heritage in this or any church will not be enough. Your years of service and attendance will not be enough. Only repentance and faith in Jesus Christ will matter. Won't you trust in Him today? Um, you know, I, I know uh, back when I was at First Baptist, we did an outreach program and a couple of folks went to see a, a friend of mine who doesn't go to church. And, and they went to talk to this friend about trusting in Jesus. And they presented the gospel to him and told him that they, he needed to turn to faith in Christ. And, and the guy that was presenting the gospel to him said, look, you know, no amount of good deeds will save you. No amount of good works will save you. You must turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And this man looked back at the guy that was presenting the gospel to him and said, no. I don't think you're right. I think I can live a good enough life that God will accept me. If you think that your morality will be acceptable to God, then you have a sore thing coming when you stand before God in judgment. Because there is no amount of good works that will buy your way into heaven. Instead, you need to plead for the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what He has done, and allow His Spirit to transform you so that you can then do good works in gratitude. Not out of obligation, but out of gratitude for what He has done. Brothers and sisters, we are not saved by our good works. I've talked to many Christians who lose heart and become discouraged because they're no longer capable of doing what they used to do for the church or for the Lord. They worry that they will lose God's favor because they are no longer able to serve. I've also talked to many Christians who worry that they don't have the moral pedigree to be acceptable before God. Maybe you have a past that keeps haunting you, or maybe you have a besetting sin that you keep coming back to. Take heart. It is not your good works that save you, but the works of one truly righteous man, Jesus Christ. Do not give up on good works, but do your good works in light of what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. May we do good works out of gratitude for the fact that Jesus has saved us from our own self-righteousness 
and the wrath of God that is to come upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Even as those who may have grown up in the church and know nothing other than uh, living in obedience to the moral code of Christianity, Lord, we can recognize, we recognize that we uh, may live by that moral code all while not trusting in you and all while not repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, for those of us who may be living in self-righteousness, thinking that, you know, our years of, of attendance and our years of obedience will be enough to get us into heaven. Lord, I pray that we would turn from that self-righteousness and instead turn to the righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ and rest in that. Father, may we be acceptable before you, but not because of works we have done, but because of the works that Jesus has done. Father, bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.